Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. First, let's get some definitions and terms. The sermon title this morning is The Importance of Faith. Faith is pretty important, right? And we want faith to be built within us, with individuals in this church, but also faith as a congregation as well. Now, we, we in this room, most of us know that faith starts with God. Faith is not something that is inherent within every human being. Faith is a supernatural thing. True faith. Now, dead faith or the kind of faith that James talks about, that faith, the kind of faith that cannot save, the kind of faith that does not have works that go along with it, that faith or dead faith is very natural. And a human being has amazing abilities in this world through the common grace of God to believe in all sorts of things. There are people out there that actually believe the earth is still flat, or the earth is flat. Not that it used to be, and that now it's round, but there's still people that believe that the earth is flat, flat earthers out there. Uh, that belief, dead faith, that kind of thing is seen everywhere. And so often it's mistaken as true faith that each person has to distill in any way that they would like. But the Bible teaches us that our wills are bound to our nature. And so a person who's dead in their trespasses and sins, well, their will is in bondage to their nature. It's only free to do that which its nature dictates. But when somebody becomes a Christian and they have a new nature then we are freed to do things that the non-believer cannot do. We actually have living, real faith, not dead faith, living, real faith, and we can now, by the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, start to walk in the commandments of the Lord. We can love Jesus by obeying His commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so the Christian, with the Holy Spirit, with the faith that God has given him, or her, can start to do what God has commanded. Not to save themselves, but out of gratitude. Because we now have a new heart and a new nature. We have been set free, and that bondage we used to be in, we are no longer in. We are now bound to our new nature, which is a nature that has the Holy Spirit. It's a nature that has a brand new heart, a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. So we know already that faith starts with God. It comes from God. We know that Hebrews 12 too, we quoted it a couple weeks ago, but Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So He founds our faith and He, protect, and he perfects our faith. This is the work that Jesus is doing in us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So then when God gives faith, here's the question that I have, what does that faith look like? When God gives it, what does it look like in the life of a believer? What does it look like? Now we know that faith is a spiritual gift, that certain people have this unique gifting, this unique gift of faith that not every believer has. So that's the spiritual gift faith. But every believer has faith and should be working and exercising their faith muscles every day of their life, trusting in the promises of God, believing God to do what can't be done otherwise. Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us a really good definition, but it's a partial definition. It's not faith in, in, its, to, in its totality. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's an interesting thing about Christian hope. Christian hope is not hope in some uncertain thing that's coming down the road. Christian hope is assurance. Assurance and hope are tied together with Christian hope. And faith is the assurance of the things that we hope for. We know what we're hoping for is going to become a reality. We're going to see it. And then hope, or then faith, is the conviction of things not seen. So we have convictions about things we cannot right now see. That's what faith is. Now, the rest of the New Testament helps us build out this definition of faith. So faith could also be said, and we'll look at this a little bit more clearly a little later on, but faith also believes in the Word of God. So when God speaks, we believe. That, that faith believes in God's promises. 
When we hear a promise that God gives us in His Word, faith apprehends that and believes that. That's what it looks like. Okay, I believe that. Faith trusts in God. Faith in action looks like trusting that God will do what He says He will do. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that faith is the refusal to panic. Typically, panic is tied in with lack of faith. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? This week I had a panic moment and I needed to grow my faith muscles. Faith in action looks like trusting God will do what He says He will do. Now today we're going to see, we're really going to see it very clearly, the importance of faith in the life of the believer. Faith not just for justification, which we've been talking about, but faith in sanctification as well. Now that you're justified, what does faith look like as you're walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? We never grow, outgrow our need of faith. We must grow in our expression of it. We never outgrow our need of faith. We must grow in our expression of it. Now, we get, off, we get to start off this morning in, in Galatians 3.1, and we get some name-calling from the beginning, so it's going to be fun. So start with verse 1 with me. Turn your eyes to chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul calls the churches of Galatia, all of the church in Galatia, without exception, he says, oh foolish Galatians, who did this to you? He's shocked and he's awed that the Galatian churches who knew about God's grace and who heard about Jesus being portrayed as crucified, they heard about Christ crucified in their place. He called them foolish and wondered who bewitched them. Who did this to you? The word for bewitched is communicating almost like an enchantment. It's almost like a witch came to town, a witch doctor, and tricked them in to believing something that is a doctrine of demons. It's like they've been seduced by demons, dark forces. And Paul tells them that they should have known better. Jesus was portrayed as crucified. They had heard and believed in the crucifixion of Jesus, so they should have been equipped and ready to stand against the false teaching that came against them. So whatever Paul is about to bring up, the cross should have defended against that bewitchment. The cross of Christ in its centrality should have defended them. It should have fortified the walls. And because they saw Jesus as publicly crucified through their preaching, they should not have been bewitched. But they were. were. To the Galatians, faith in Christ crucified, you connect the dots here with what Paul's saying, faith in Christ crucified was good for them to start their faith, but somehow they thought that real Christianity and real, healthy, robust Christian spirituality that you come to a place where you outgrow your need for faith in Christ crucified. Now I want you to hear that. Because Hebrews tells us that we should move on from the elementary teaching of repentance and faith. Okay? Now that means going into a more robust understanding of the cross of Christ. Don't stay in this baby understanding of the cross of Christ, but we grow in our understanding of the cross of Christ as we walk with Jesus. And somehow, though, this church thought that it was okay to move on from Christ crucified. No longer do we need faith in Christ crucified. Now we get, need to get into the rat race of good works. And I'm going to start doing on my own what I once believed Jesus to do for me. So Paul is going to ask a series of questions. He sets it up. Who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He starts to ask these questions. And so after setting it up, it was before your eyes that Christ was portrayed as crucified. That should have been this fortification, but you've moved on from that. He starts asking a series of questions. And we saw question one in verse two. Did you receive the Spirit of works, or Spirit of Christ, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works 
or by hearing with faith. So, did the Spirit come upon you because you cleaned yourself up? Or did the Spirit come upon you in spite of that and simply through faith? Well, I think there are still many people to this day, as we think about this question, that would answer the question in the wrong way. And I think, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Galatian churches, as they see these questions, that they're answering it back and they're realizing, oh, wait a minute, yes, it was by faith and it was not by works of the law. They're thinking back to when they first saw the Spirit of God move. They first saw the work of God in Galatians chapter 14, 13 and 14. They're thinking about how the church got started and realizing, wait a minute, the power of God came upon us by faith and not by works of the law. And they're answering these questions, I would like to think, in the right manner, responding appropriately. But I think there are still many people today who claim they believe in God, and maybe they really do, but think that becoming a Christian really is about living like a Christian. That justification comes, getting into the Christian faith comes by way of moral reform. And I still think that there are a lot of good old boys out there, and good old girls, if you'll go with me, out there throughout this world that think that getting right with God is simply a matter of changing the patterns of living that they're currently walking in. If I'll start doing the Christian thing, that's what being a Christian is. I think there are still many people that believe that. And for those who don't have this Christian upbringing, or didn't even go to VBS, or completely grew up in a secular mindset, they still think if they were to articulate what is a Christian or what is the Christian life, they would probably say it's just doing the law of God, whatever the Bible says, and it's about being judgmental, and then all the caricatures about what Christians are supposed to be like in the eyes of the world. But the big secret in the Christian life is that we have been totally forgiven, and that we have been totally made new, and it was not by works of the law. That there's no moral high ground that anybody in this room that, in talking with a non-Christian, can say, the reason, I'm a, is that I, the reason I'm a Christian is because I cleaned my own sinful muddy boots off of myself. Because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. There's nobody in here that can say, I got right with God because I started going to church, I stopped cussing, I stopped drinking, I stopped doing all the things, the bad things I'm supposed to do, and I'm a Christian now. That's not how you become a Christian. And so this first question brings them back to the beginning. And I think, as they're responding to this in their mind, they're thinking, yes, it was through faith, and it was not through works of the law. We received the Spirit. Jesus baptized us with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and we have been immersed in God through faith in Christ and not by our own doing. Something happened to us. We didn't do this to ourselves. This is not through our own life. And then we get another question, verse 3. Look at verse 3. Another question in the series of questions. Are you so foolish? There's that word foolish again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's like he's taking a mirror, and what Paul's doing is showing it to the Galatians and saying, look what you're doing here. Are you now, after beginning by faith, trying to be perfected by the flesh? This is foolishness, church. You're saved by grace, and what are you going to, you're going to go out there and under your own power, not look to Christ, but just start looking within, and start thinking about the power of self and what you can do? It's crazy. Notice what the forgetting Christ is all about. Notice what the foolishness is all about. Don't be foolish, Paul says, you foolish Galatians. Now, forgetting justification by faith breaking down what's happening here in the church, forgetting justification by faith after you are a Christian, in this verse is equated to the flesh. Leaving faith in Christ for faith in your own doing is equated to the flesh. So doing works of the law because you think that's what's going to make me right or keep me right before God is a fleshly way to live. It's not a supernatural way to live. So knowing I'm saved by grace through faith and then taking the step and and thinking, okay, now I don't need to look to Christ anymore. I can do this now on my own. Is equated with the flesh. That's not supernatural. In fact, that's quite foolish. Now, I remember 
One of the first times I ever got to teach was a youth group in a Pentecostal college or Pentecostal church that I was a part of down in college. And I remember I was up just doing a devotional, and it was a rat, it was a pretty large youth group. And I remember standing up there, and and I remember that I was correcting myself, like at least I thought, because I caught myself in prayer one day, and I was praying, God, help me to obey you today. That's my, my prayer. I was asking God for help to do what he's called me to do. And I remember stopping myself because I had terrible theology at the time. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. God has done all that he's done for me on the cross and through the resurrection. Therefore, I shouldn't be asking God for strength today. I should just go out and respond to what God has done for me. And I should just, under my own power, obey. I shouldn't have to ask him for strength to obey him today. I shouldn't ask the Holy Spirit for help today because he saved me already. I should be able to do this. And I remember telling this as a devotional, you can do this to a group of teenagers. And it was so foolish. It was the same kind of foolishness that's seen here with the churches of Galatia. Don't be foolish. Don't have faith in yourself and your abilities. Duh. Have faith in Christ. You can't get better by trusting in yourself. You can't be better by looking to yourself. Faith in Christ is the way forward even after you're a Christian. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul tells the church at Colossae, so walk in Him. As you received Him through repentance and faith, so walk in Him. Repentance and faith. And so Paul reminds them of how they started. He reminds them of their first love. He's holding up the mirror. They're hopefully seeing how foolish and crazy this is. They're hopefully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, being corrected because we don't get the response in the churches of Galatia. We're just hoping and and praying that, yes, they responded in a positive manner. But there's another statement that Paul brings to them after he shows this mirror, and then we're going to get one final question. Look at verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? The message of the gospel to this church brought pain to these people at first. If you remember when Paul was preaching the gospel, it's Antioch at Poseidia, Lystra, and Derby. In these communities, in Derby, he was stoned almost to the point of death. And I always like to make the joke with actual stones, not like stoned in the wrong sinful way. Stoned almost to death. That probably was inappropriate. I'm sorry if it was. I've tried to get more and more appropriate over the years, especially with little ears. And I used to say things in sermons that I don't say anymore, and that probably is one in five years from now that I'll I'll regret. So enjoy it while you can. So the message of the gospel brought pain. To believe this message when there are Jews and Gentiles in the churches, when there's Judaizers there, to publicly align yourself with Jesus through baptism, to insist on salvation by grace through faith and not through works of the law, it cost them something. There was a cost to that. This could almost be equated to the cost around the world of being publicly baptized in Afghanistan, being publicly baptized in communist China, being publicly baptized in a place where Christianity brings great reproach. And Paul's reminding them, it cost you something. Now, they were going back and abandoning that by having faith in themselves. They started with faith in Christ, and now they're trying to grow in their relationship with Christ by having faith in themselves. And it really sounds a lot like today in the Christian world. You know, we hammer this quite a bit. But self-help things... uh, some, there's so many, go to, like, self-help has turned into self-care. You guys know this. Like, self-help in the 80s is now just repackaged as self-care. Like, self-discovery tools, we talk about that quite a bit with the Enneagram or even things like Myers-Briggs that are all, that can be, not the Enneagram, but like things like, you know, more benign tests that aren't rooted in like paganism and stuff like that. Um, and spiritual gift testings, those things can be helpful sometimes. And The problem sometimes even with spiritual gift testings is we fail to realize that God so often uses us in ways we're not gifted. Like he sends Paul, the Jew of all Jews, to the Gentiles. And if he took a spiritual gift test, that wouldn't happen. 
Like he would go, oh, obviously you're going to go to the Jews because you know the Jews, you're the Jew, you've been trained to the seat of Gamaliel and, and you're obviously the Pharisee of all Pharisees. You know how they think, you know how they work. But no, he gets sent to the Gentiles. God does this kind of thing. He stretches us and uses us in ways that we're not gifted to show off his power. But we live in a self-obsessed world and Christians fall for this like crazy. Self-help and self-care has repackaged to where people are talking about like gospel-centered self-care. And, and we can hammer on this every single week. You don't need to know more, as much about yourself as you need to know about God. For every single minute you spend studying yourself, that's a minute that you could spend studying the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's a whole lot more interesting than you are. He really is. Like self-discovery... And narcissism is a virtue in our day. In the past, dwelling upon the self was universally seen as foolishness. You're not that interesting. And what they're doing here is they're turning from the Lord Jesus Christ and looking to their own strength and their own abilities. Self-discovery is what I need. Self-power is what I need. I can do this. I just need to discover how powerful I really am. After all, I'm a Christian now. I don't really need to turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ now. I don't need to remember the cross of Christ now. What I need to do is get to work with my own power. I need to discover more about myself. It's like the gag reflex. Like, ugh. Really? The cult of self is an empire that Christians continue to be duped by. It's foolishness. You see this. It's foolishness. It's what Paul, Paul calls it. Did you run in vain? You, you, you saw by grace through faith that justification is free. And it's about all of Christ and what he has done for us. That your salvation, you get the gavel has come down and your salvation is in Christ. And now you're turning from that to your flesh? Really? Turn back to Christ. Hopefully the churches in Galatia are seeing the absurdity of this. And they're saying, yes, we have been bewitched. We have been seduced by the powers of darkness to look away from the glorious Christ and be seduced by our own image in the mirror and our own abilities. And we have turned from looking at the abilities of Jesus, which are eternal, and look to our own abilities. And Paul calls that foolishness. He has one final question for them. Look at verse 5. Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works? Answer is no, it was by faith. Do miracles come because of works of the law or by faith? And the answer is resounding, it comes by faith. Through hearing with faith. We believe in the promises of God by faith. We, by faith, trust in the provision of God. We, by faith, trust that God is going to do and work miracles among us. And in case you don't know, something that people who have differing views of the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit must all agree on the fact that God does miracles in our midst. He still does and He always will work miracles in our midst. God is in the business of providing in supernatural ways. And even with non-Christians, when you see things in the world and non-Christians see unexplainable things, credit that to the common grace of God, not just a coincidence. God is a kind and generous giver to His people and gives us promises that He does not give to the world. But even to the secular world, God gives rain to the just and the unjust. And when the unjust farmer gets rain on his field, that's God's provision. And that's a miracle. The unjust farmer does not deserve rain to come on his field. None of us deserve the provision of God, and yet God still, in this fallen world, provides for us air to breathe. Clean air. If you don't talk to the CDC. Breathe and breathe deeply without fear, for goodness sake. And the cult of environmental change, by the way, which is a religion... Uh, the Bible tells us clearly that the seasons are going to come and the seasons are going to go. They're fixed because God has fixed them. And until he returns, this earth and environment will be sustaining of life. And we will have fresh air to breathe until Christ returns to consummate all things. So we don't buy into 
uh, environmental change nonsense. Amen. And if you do, trust in the promises of God more than CNN. And put your butt, you know, your boot through the TV when CNN's on, by the way. Okay, so the final question. Did you receive this by works of what? It was by the Spirit. Now, faith. Oh, I want you to think a little bit more about faith. Matthew 9 is so helpful here. It's very helpful here, in fact. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, um, there's three instances of faith, and they're all called faith in Matthew chapter 9. This is very important. And uh, I've gone through this before. I can't remember if it was here at our church when we were going through the Gospel of John, but Matthew 9 is a really great case study because you see three instances of faith. And you see how robust faith really is. Faith in the Bible and prayer in the Bible is a very interesting thing because there's so many angles to it and there's so many things that you can learn as you go in your Christian life about faith and about prayer. But I think Matthew 9 is is, is pretty helpful. And we think about faith and the miracle-working God. We have to think about... Well, how does miracles and faith work in the Christian life? And, and just to be uh, quite frank, it, it, it's a difficult thing sometimes. Because in our church, we have had somebody that was healed of cancer, completely healed of cancer, and yet the same year, we had somebody in our church die of cancer. And prayers were there for healing for both of them. And there was faith on display for both of them. I don't have answers to that. I really don't. I know that the Bible has promised us future healing, that it's a matter of for our bodies, that healing is inevitable for the Christian. It's a matter of timing, and it's a matter of God's sovereign and secret will. And I can't fully understand that. However, Matthew 9 is really helpful because it tells us three instances of faith. And the first one was what's called intercessory faith. You see that in chapter 9, verse 2, where God heals and forgives a man of his sins first, and then heals a man because he saw the faith of those who were laying him down or sending him down through the roof of the building to get to Jesus. And he saw their faith and then turned to the man, the paralytic, and said, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody freaks out and he says, well, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And he picked up his bed and he walked out of there. That's how we know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins because he told the man, pick up your bed and walk. So these miracles... We're showing this greater miracle, showing off this greater miracle that if Jesus can tell this man to take up his bed and walk, then surely he can forgive sins. And then we see this in verse 21 of chapter 9, or starting in verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I want you to hear this, I will be made well. She expressed faith knowing for certain, not just that Jesus is able, and we see that Jesus is able here in a second, but first we see that she had the faith believing that Jesus not only can do this, I know if I touch the garment, his garment, if I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And she touched the hem of his garment. In verse 22, Jesus turned, seeing her, and said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Faith is tied into this certainty. Faith is believing that Jesus will do something. And then in verse 27 down through 29, get this. And Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? That I'm able to do this? The word able, not do you believe that I'm going to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, be it done for you. Now faith in this instance was not believing that Jesus would do something for sure. Jesus simply asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you believe I have the power to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. And then Jesus calls that faith as well. Now, both are called faith. And we think about God working miracles in Galatia and God working miracles in our midst and receiving the Holy Spirit. Was it through works of the law or was it through faith in what Christ has done for us? We think about this faith and we want to see faith built, but I want you to understand the key. When you understand that faith is a gift, sometimes God gives faith to know, gives an individual 
supernatural faith to know Jesus is going to do this right now. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the, the faith that you expressed is not to be mustered up. It's God-given faith. And you know in this moment, it's not a question of, is God able to do it? I know he's going to do it. And you guys have experienced that before. Where you prayed and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, God will take care of this need. He will take care of this, whether it was healing, whether it was provision, whether it was breaking the power of sin over this particular area or that particular area. You knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus, I know he's able, but this isn't a matter of his ability or not. I know he's going to do this. And he did it. And then there's going to be other times, and you just, you know, you can't muster it up. You have no idea what God's going to do. And your prayers and petitions are there, and you're making your request, but you're submitting to your Heavenly Father and saying, God, I know you're able, but I have no idea. I don't have this supernatural faith to know exactly what you're going to do. But I'm laying it all out here, and I'm saying, I trust you, Heavenly Father, and build faith here. Whatever happens here, I trust your sovereign will. I might not know, understand your secret ways that you work in the background, but I know you're able to do this, and I'm asking you to do it. But I'm going to trust you no matter what, and I submit to your will. And Jesus calls this faith. That is faith as well. You see, when we approach faith like a work, we think faith is something that we can just muster up. And I don't want you to think about faith in a fleshly way. It shouldn't be, well, if I can just build my faith here and build my faith here, maybe I'll actually believe that Jesus will heal whatever situation's in front of you. If God gives you that faith, express it, and you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's going to do this. But until that faith is there, you pray and believe, and you know, God, I know you're able. I don't know what you're going to do. But if you give me wisdom, if you give me insight to know what you're going to do, I'm going to pray it, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to know this is what you're going to do. And that's faith. So faith is robust. It's not flat. It's not one-sided. None of the work of God is predicated upon our fleshly attempts to earn anything from him. And that's what Paul wants to remind them of. Does he who who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is so obvious, by hearing with faith. We didn't earn this. We've not earned what God has done in our midst. We have to turn and look at all that he's done, every miracle. We have to look at the Holy Spirit who he's given us and empowered us with. And we have to just turn and say, God, thank you for all that you're doing. I didn't earn that. It's not because of me. It's all because of your mercy that's been shed upon us. Faith is a glorious thing. And Paul's calling him back to the basics. Faith. It's not through works of the law. And then he brings them to Abraham. This is the first time we're going to hear about Abraham in this book. And we're going to spend a few weeks talking about Abraham. Look at verse 6. So then... Or excuse me, not verse, yeah, six. So, as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this belief and righteousness is connected, not through works of the law, but through faith. And we know that because of James, that real faith, living faith, works. This is the first time Abraham enters the letter, and he's going to talk a lot about old Abe. We're going to see some connections. We're going to leap back and forth from the Old Testament to the New. But we're going to see something really powerful here is that Abraham received a a credit of righteousness by faith. Now, this is the same message found in the Old Testament. The confusion of the Judaizers, those false teachers in Galatia. Hear me, this is so crucial. The confusion of the Judaizers, they thought that salvation was through the works of the law, through their works of the law. They thought the Old Testament, the Jews leading up to Christ, thought that they were made right with God by their ability to keep the law of God. The law of God's good, we should obey it, and that's how they thought they were justified. And they missed it. They missed what was hidden in plain sight. This message from the old to the new, and Paul turns our attention to the Old Testament And he reminds us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul shows them that salvation has always been by grace through faith. Abraham believed the promises of God in the future. We believe what God has done in the past. And he received a credit of righteousness. Now, this is so important because if you know about Abraham, you know that two times after Abraham received a credit of righteousness, he tried To tell his wife to lie and say, you're my sister, which is a half-truth. 
to the authorities so the authorities wouldn't kill him. He was still afraid and he was conniving and he schemed and he still sinned after he had a credit of righteousness. Abraham, the man of faith, still did some terrible things after he received a credit of righteousness. And this is the Christian faith. It's important. Abraham was counted righteous. He wasn't made righteous. Counted and made. Those words are incredibly important to understand the gospel. You and I, in justification, are declared righteous, counted righteous like Abraham. You are counted righteous. I am counting you righteous, even though you still deal with sin. You are not actually made righteous in the sense that now you are perfect and never sin again. And if anyone claims otherwise, you're just showing how blind you really are. If you think you are made perfectly righteous, actually perfectly righteous right now, you're walking in sanctification, you're growing in Christ-likeness, but right now you are not living the exact life that, that Jesus lived. You're not living perfectly. But you are counted righteous even though you're not actually righteous right now. You're still growing. You're not perfectly like Christ. You're not perfectly obeying the law of God, but you are counted righteous. And that's the doctrine of justification by faith through grace. For the rest of our life, we are counted righteous even when we stumble in sin. And Paul's connecting the dots from the Old Testament to New. This is no new message. This is here hidden in plain sight. And it's those of faith who believed in the promises of God from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to all of God's people in the Old Testament that anticipated and looked forward in faith. They were true sons of Abraham. And that's what he says in verse 7. Know then it's those of faith who are sons of Abraham. True sons of Abraham. Now there's a lot of confusion about being a, a true Israelite and what it means to be Israel. Anybody ever heard confusion in your eschatology? A lot of times we'll determine this about you know, looking at messianic prophecies or looking at today and look at Israel times today and what's happening in Israel today. And there's a lot of talk about Israel today. And I think God actually does have some things probably in store for the nation state of Israel in the future. But this is so interesting. I mean, it's just so clear here what the true Israel really is. Who are sons of Abraham? Now, it says, know then, it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's a definitive statement. Until Jesus came, the only answer to this question was the physical Jewish people. The physical Jewish people. Those are the sons of Abraham. Now, Jesus shows up, and in John 8, 31 through 37, it's fascinating. He, he turns to a group of Jews, and he tells them that they're sons of the devil. That they're not sons of Israel. That they're not sons of Abraham. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're the Jews. We're the bloodlines, man. We're the real deal. We, we've got the promises. We've got the covenants. We're the real deal. Why are you saying that we need to be set free? We're, we've never been in bondage to anyone. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be set free. You are, you are of your father, the devil. And he's saying that to physically Jews. Abraham's not your father. Satan's your father. Also, Paul tells us in Romans 9, he tells us that not all Israel is Israel. When we went through the book of Romans, we talked about that, that there is an Israel, God's chosen people, the bloodline of Jewish people, and then within the Jewish people, there are people of faith. And in Romans 9, Paul demonstrates this by saying, there's Jacob and Esau. Both are actually descendants of Abraham, but only Jacob was chosen by grace. And not Esau. There was the Israel within Israel. Only Jacob was the spiritual son of Abraham. There was a true Israel within the visible Israel. Now hear me say this. There is the same thing today. Within the visible church, and you see this really practically and experientially in your life. In the visible church, let me define the visible church, all those throughout the world who have a profession of faith in Christ and who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into the church are the visible church, those who would call themselves Christians. So everybody in this room that claims to have faith in Christ and has been baptized and welcomed into the church, if you've been baptized and claim to know Jesus, you're a part of the visible 
church and every single church gathering around this world, sitting in church buildings, that claim to know Jesus and have been baptized, they are part of the visible church. Yet, just being a member of the visible church does not mean you have saving faith in Jesus. How many stories have you heard of people who grew up in church, have been a part of a church, made a profession of faith, and either walked away from the Lord, walked away from the church, never to return again, and apostatized, or became a Christian when they were supposedly already a Christian? Let me just see, is anybody in here, when you know became a Christian, would have said you were a Christian before you were a Christian? Anybody? Okay. So, in the church, baptized, had a profession of faith, but yet not had received saving faith. There's a church within the church, like there was an Israel within, the is within Israel. Now, we try to hit the nail on the head. That's why when we, when we have a membership or something, we want to make sure the best that we can that this person is actually a Christian. But it's important to know this. That within the visible church, there are some who have that profession who've not yet been actually born again. There are many people that have testified, just like you do today, just like you did today, that they were saved by grace through faith years after being a part of the visible church. Some people even growing up in the church the entire, their entire lives. And sadly, it does happen that many walk away from the faith. Not walk away from Jesus, they walk away from the church. That's a big difference. They didn't have saving faith. They were not true sons of Abraham, like those in John 8, who Jesus said, You're, you are sons of the devil, devil were not really true Israel. They just had the right blood. But they were not saved by the saving blood of Jesus. Kind of went together. I thought that would go together pretty well. They were not true. A true son of Abraham through faith in Christ. Only those of faith are sons of Abraham. And here's the deal. It's for everybody. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for Gentiles. It's for, for good old boys and girls. And that's the second time I've said that in this sermon today. Who grew up in Illinois. Who grew up in the Midwest. Who grew up uh, the other side of the world. Wherever you were born, there's good news for you. That the blood of Jesus is not just for the Jewish people. It's for all of those of faith throughout the whole earth. Faith in Christ for the whole world. Justification for the world. It's for everybody. Look at verse 8. And scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, there's our word again, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. The scripture, which was written by the Holy Spirit, foresaw that justification of the Gentiles was going to be by faith. Justification by faith. And the Old Testament in, in Genesis 12 preached the good news beforehand all the way back to Abraham. Then the good news with, was within the declaration, in you shall all the nations be blessed. It foresaw that something coming in Abraham is going to be for the nations. And it's the gospel of Jesus that was preached. The nations will have access to salvation by grace through faith. And this is important for the Gentiles that are in Galatia. Now he's connecting the dots all over the place here saying, hey man, by grace through faith was the plan all along and it's been here all along. And it's coming to the Gentiles. It's here in, in Galatia right now. And it wasn't through works of the law. It was by faith. God's been talking about this for a long time. And friends, it's here for you. Don't walk away from it. Don't turn from Christ into yourself. Justification in Christ knows no borders. That's good news. Justification in Christ knows no borders. All nations will be, will be blessed. And I love this because this is my hope for the future and why I'm optimistic about the future. You've heard me say this probably recently. I'm short-term pessimistic, long-term optimistic. Short-term, there's a lot of craziness. It's going really bad. Uh, I, I mean, foolishness can only go so long. And I think what we're seeing is the death of secularization in our society today. Like, like you can't go on with, with this postmodern thought that my truth is your, my truth and your truth is your truth without society imploding. Without a people who don't know how to control themselves, you can't have a controlled society unless it's through totalitarianism. 
And that's why the government wants more and more power is because they're saying, oh, well, people can't control themselves. We've got to do it for them. So I, I'm short-term pessimistic. But long-term, I'm optimistic for passages like this. Justification knows no borders, and the statement is all nations will be blessed. That's a promise that I want to apprehend by faith. And I want my faith to build to believe that. That no matter how dark the United States of America gets, it can't stop out the truth that all nations of the world will be blessed. That faith can't be stopped. That justification cannot be stopped. That the purposes of God cannot be stopped. And I don't want to adopt a pessimistic mentality because of what I see. I want to look at the scriptures and say, God, build my faith because what I see is that all nations are going to be blessed. Every one of them. And this is the great hope of the Great Commission is that it's going to be accomplished. Go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Teaching who? The nations to observe all that I've commanded you. Well, that seems so hard. That seems impossible. Yes, it is. And behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. And the one who's with us with the end of the age says, before the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And a great thing to think about is how much authority has been given to, God, to Jesus in heaven. Well, all authority. There's no realm in the heavenly places of authority that's not been given to Jesus. But Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. The same authority he has in heaven, he has on earth. And he tells us to go, baptize, and teach and I will be with you to the end of the age. And this is something seen all over the place in the Bible, all over the pages of the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's anticipated that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. It's a certainty. It's a promise. And this is the big reason, the big reason I am so optimistic about the future. Christians, if you adopt a pessimistic mentality, you'll stop having babies. You'll stop wanting more babies around. You'll, you'll, you'll start... You know, and even me, you'll start getting more and more ammunition because things are getting worse, right? Okay, well, I am doing, doing that. Actually, I won't talk about that in here. Um, if you're anti-gun folks, I'm sorry. Um, and we'll pray for you. And, uh, but here's the thing. If we believe right now that the world is a sinking ship and all we're doing is polishing brass on a sinking ship and there's nothing we can do about it, well, that's going to affect how we live our lives. But friends, I want you to take promises like this. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Are there still some nations that don't know about Jesus? Yeah. Are there still some nations that don't know the commandments of Jesus? Yeah. The U.S. of A. Well, I want to apprehend by faith and believe in the promises of God that God is more powerful than the darkness in front of me. That the principalities and the powers of the air are not going to defeat the purposes of God. That we, the people of God, are not going to believe in ourselves. We're going to look to Christ and believe in His power. It's a certainty. It's a promise. I'm up in, I, I am optimistic. Who can stop the work of God? The devil? No. The flesh? No. The world? Absolutely not. And here's what it says. Look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham may come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Those of faith. Are you a man or woman of faith this morning? It's a great question. If you're a Christian, if you're truly born again, you are. And many people who are members, like we have said, of the visible church have not been truly born again. But if you have been born again, and, and by the way, if you're not born again and you're part of the visible church, you're going to experience some of the promises of God just by being connected with Christians. Visibly. But you won't be child of, a true child of Abraham. But for those of faith, those have been saved by grace through faith. You are going to be blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We're going to talk more about the blessings of Abraham next week, the man of faith. But hear this. We need, I think... Abraham was against a lot of odds. The people of God went into slavery for 400 years and came out plundering the Egyptians. Only by the power of God does that happen. Slavery in Egypt 
and they come out with Egypt in the bottom of the ocean. Beware if you're the enemy of God, the consequences that come with that. You come against God's people in time, it's going to go bad for you. We need, to, uh, we need to recover an expectation of success. If you go along with the TV, it will ruin you. But if you look at the promises of God here, even through difficulty, yes, we will suffer like Abraham did. Yes, we will sin like Abraham did. But yes, to this as well, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And all the way from that one man Abraham, through what God did through that one man Abraham, here we are in Carbondale, Illinois. And look at what God did through Christ and through the 12. And it wasn't through the power of the 12. It was through the power of God. Has anybody ever said, well, look what the, the, all the 12 did. Look what God did through 12 measly apostles. Look what God did. Here we are talking about how glorious Jesus is 2,000 years later. And I want us to have faith to believe that we are blessed along with Abraham. That we are taken care of. That God is going to use us in the life of other people. Friends, expect God's blessing in your life. Expect Him as we trust in Christ and not in works of the law to bless us that we would be a blessing. Don't expect defeat and be, and be surprised by God's provision. Expect provision and be joyful in defeat. Defeat is short-lived in the life of the Christian. Head up. Look to Christ and watch God work. As the Galatians sat back hearing this letter read, I think upon thinking about their ability and their power, anybody know in here that through your ability and your power you've got a great ability to mess things up? Anybody? And as I think about, by faith through grace, the Spirit of God working, miracles happening, the church being planted, and they contrast that with works of the law, and they think about what we can do and our limitations, I think it's obvious. We have been foolish. We will not be bewitched anymore. We're looking back to Christ. We're done looking to ourselves. Help us to turn to Christ again. Holy Spirit, build faith in us because we want to live as Abraham, the man of faith, lived. We want to see your work continue on. We don't want to squander it by looking to ourselves. And friends, I think we can learn a lot from the church of Galatia. And let's walk in obedience and believe in the promises of God and what he is doing in our lives and through our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much.